this podcast is brought to you by the Gosh Learning Academy. Hello and welcome to the Me First series of discussions. Today this is episode one. We're going to be talking about why is children and young people's communication so important. Me First is going to be relaunching in November, so this is why we're doing a podcast. But today I've got with me some of my amazing co-workers, but my, firstly I should say I'm Rashan. I'm one of the Me First Young Advisors and I've worked on the project for seven years. I am immensely honoured to be interviewing some of my colleagues. I'm going to, who can, I'm going to let them introduce themselves actually, so I'm going to hand over to my colleagues. Hi, I'm Rachel. I've been working with Me First for six years and I do this work a couple of days a week alongside my clinical work as a children's physiotherapist. Hello, I'm Nikki. I am the newly appointed lead practice educator for the project and it's a pleasure to be with this amazing team. And like Rachel, I work also alongside my clinical role as a speech and language therapist working in the complex airway team and I also support the staff at GOSH as a wellbeing coach. So everything, all these roles all kind of fit together beautifully. Amazing. So I'm going to be asking you guys a couple questions today, but please do just relax, be honest, and feel free to just, you know, get through some of those tricky conversations that we will be discussing today. So one thing is that I'm really keen about learning is, and I do know a bit, I'm not going to lie, I'm part of the team, but how did me for the Me First project come into existence? So we're, I think we're coming up to our eighth birthday soon. Originally, some senior children's nurses identified the need that there are a lot of people who work with children and young people but don't have specific tra- training in children and young people. So it'll be people working, for example, in GP practices or A&Es where they come across children um, every now and then may, uh, but maybe don't feel particularly comfortable or confident in what to say, how to say it, what to do and often we come across people in those kind of situations who are really quite scared about working with children and young people. Um, As things progressed we realised and identified within the project that of course it's not just about people who don't have that training or that experience but actually the work that we do is extremely challenging for lots of reasons. So there's all sorts of things that get in the way of being able to have a person-centred conversation. Talking about sensitive topics, we're talking about language barriers getting in the way, or dealing with really complex information that's difficult to simplify so that everyone in the room can understand it. Lots of things that make it difficult, and of course we can all learn and develop as we grow, no matter how long we've been working in health and social care, no matter how long we've been working with children and young people. And I'd just like to echo the fear that um, healthcare professionals feel when they don't work with children routinely. That was my experience working in the adult sector. When I had a young person I had to see, I sometimes was very fearful and worried about what to do and how to engage that young person. I wish I'd had that training then. So it's really fantastic um, that this project exists. And then of course alongside that information and and how this project was born, this very much fitted alongside the research and the evidence behind um, saying that children and young people don't feel they understand what's happening within their care, they don't feel involved, they don't feel they understand what's happening next. 
and then as the project developed and evolved and people decided which way the project was going and what it needed to look like as an educational resource, whether or not we needed a communication module, the website that came out, all of those things to support staff. We learned so much as we went along. All of the focus groups and things that went into the project in the early stages really reinforced the need for this work, this need that, again, this work is challenging. So all sorts of resources, information, articles, activities, all sorts of different things that, that can support challenging topics and challenging conversations to make these things as easy as possible to do in challenging circumstances. Wow. I mean, it's amazing to just hear all about the Me First project, but also to hear it from my colleagues as well. What's really interesting is I'm going to touch on something that actually Nikki was talking about um, before was how has your practice been changed since the Me First, for instance, actually becoming a part of the Me First team, but also developing the training and working on the training? I find that I would sometimes wrap up my appointments with people, sometimes forgetting that bit. Like, do you know what's going to happen next? Do you know what you've got to do? Do you know what I'm going to do? Do you understand what's happened today? And I try to do that routinely all the time. I have a checklist always in my head and I use the model, which is so beautiful, to kind of go back and think, did I do all those steps? Were all of them necessary? Then I can go back and revisit it when I go back to see that patient again. And I also just try to think always in the shoes of that young person. I think I did it before, but I'm much, much more aware of it now and bring to mind the differences all the time and think, this young person doesn't want to engage in therapy today. Is it because maybe they'd rather be playing football instead? So always kind of thinking, is this the right time for this young person? And not ever blaming the young person or their family. Just really always thinking beneath the behaviours and my responses. So I think it's been a very humbling a kind of experience that's the and having more humility and I think many people who are experts in inverted commas in their field kind of that's I think what we're trying to also kind of put across they're experts they know a lot and there's even more to kind of remember and take on just listening to you describe all of that I also have the word humble in my mind of thinking of my own experience and when I first joined the team, I remember having this opportunity, looking forward to having this opportunity to work on something different alongside my clinical work and thinking, you know, I've, I've worked in all sorts of different clinical areas, people of different ages, I've got the skills to do this work. And I think I, maybe I at times, uh, embarrassing to admit it, but I think I became quite defensive at times of thinking, you know, my communication skills are really, really good and feeling a bit challenged by some of the activities that we do in the training, but really being humbled by how much I can learn, how much we can all learn and, and develop. And it is, a <laughs> I feel like I'm stating the obvious, um, but it uh, it is an ongoing process. It's a lifelong process. And working alongside young people, working in a co-production way and hearing people's lived experiences, hearing from other professionals, it's such a privilege to have the benefit of these two roles with my ongoing clinical work where I learn day to day. I develop my skills, my communication style skills evolve all the time with the work that I do. And alongside that, working with me first and hearing from other people and what they do, having that time, that really rich time for reflection to think about what works, what doesn't work, the time to use the resources that I, I gain those tips, those tiny little nuggets here and there that you get listening to other people to apply into my work and have the time to practice using those 
is such rich information and I use some of the resources from the website all the time in my work. It's absolutely changed my practice. It absolutely has completely enhanced my own experience with the work that I do and I've, I feel really comfortable confident knowing that it's had an impact on the young people that I work with. Nikki mentioned the, the main me first communication model that we have developed and again it's like a really simple framework that we will all be doing little bits of all the time in our work but having that there knowing it back to front because I've, I've worked on it so much as a training resource when I'm teaching but applying it to my work using it as a reflective tool and really all the time coming back to those questions am I listening am I explicitly showing to this young person in front of me that I care that I listen to really make sure that's sinking in to build that rapport and that relationship that's so key to the work that we do in order to add those extra layers on top and have the resources, the skills, the techniques to build on top of that to give everybody the best experience, the best chance of an optimum outcome. It's, yeah, it's just such a great experience to go through that. There was just one more thing I thought of as coming into this role as the lead practice educator called Letters. It's full of jargon. So the experience of focus groups of working with young advisors, I'm really wanting to develop, get young people involved in helping us to help us write those definitions that are easy to understand, easy to follow, make sense to young people and their families. So really the idea of young per people's involvement in the care they receive should go right from the very core of even the terminology, the way we write about people, for them to be able to define conditions and ideas that are spoken about about them in a way that is meaningful for them so that's been just something I thought of amazing all brilliant brilliant work and it's amazing to see how it has shaped your practice and changed maybe the way some of your thinking but also how you deliver a service so one thing that I do have to ask is why did you choose to be a me first trainer and what motivated you to get involved in children and young people's communication well I I'm a teacher by background, so before I was a speech and language therapist, I used to teach adults to speak English. It's a second language. I've always loved teaching. I always love training students. I love working with people in a very, I call it decentered, student-centered way. So the project really appealed to me in its philosophy and its way of putting the people who are experts on their care at the centre of the training. So from the very get-go, kind of the way I was trained as a teacher and the way I worked for 10 years with people, I found that very exciting. And I really just like to grow and do something that's meaningful and will make a difference. And I felt this was a good place to put my energies. And the person who did my role before me, Leslie Cavalli, was a wonderful mentor to me and encouraged me to step into this role because she thought I could make a difference. And she knew how valuable and rewarding the role was for her. And uh, that's been my experience. So that's why I stepped into it. I think I also, in a similar way, wanted to do something slightly different. I was, at, at the time in my own career, I was exploring doing different things and working in different areas. I also have a background in teaching, I love teaching, but I also think in my clinical work I've always had more of an interest and maybe my skill set matches more of the qualitative side of things, the communication side of things, thinking about things holistically, always been really interested in communication and the words we use, how we approach things, how we think about things, trying to be as person-centred and family-centred as possible. So it really sparked my interest. I don't think at the time I really had any idea 
how much of an impact the project would have on me and how powerful this work is, how much I would learn from it. And you know, I've stayed working with this project for such a long time because I really see how much of a difference it makes for me personally, the people I work with, my colleagues and families and young people that I work with, and I continuing to evolve and develop, which we all really appreciate, you know, as individuals. Well, amazing. It's just wonderful to hear why you picked the role and how much it has been probably more than you thought it was going to be. The next question is, what would be one of your top tips to improve children and young people's communication that you feel professionals need to know about? And it could either be a resource or a phrase, but something that you feel just emphasizes you know something i want to answer because i you know so it's interesting i raised my hand because straight away when rashan was talking the most important thing for me and i've had lots of training in narrative therapy michael white's work and one essential philosophy of that is the idea that the person is the person and the problem is the problem so really never forgetting there is a person there who walks into your room and who you are working with and treating or trying to find out about and that often gets missed that often gets forgotten they go straight to the condition the problem so if you always keep that in mind and that drives everything and if the person feels like they matter and that you're interested in them as people and they're also looking for I suppose the other narratives of that person's life they're more than just their problem that is so life-changing for the young person for their families and it just shifts power dynamics and all those fundamentals of of me first come out so the person is always the the person is the person the problem is the problem trying to look at that i feel like we should get that written somewhere the person is the person it's written over and over again and that's i think that that's why it aligns so well and your question before what brought you into this work is because of that that training and that philosophy I use all the time in my work it's marries up mm. with with the project maybe and, our website um, designer needs to put it on the website <laughs> anyway. um, and Rachel where do you start I feel like I've learned so much over the last few years I could name quite a few resources from the resource hub that I use on a regular basis like the emoji cards and the sorting task the the bullseye targets the network hand those kind of things that you can find on our website but I think there are main values that we talk about all the time at Me First that are key things that, again, thinking about the person as the person and the problem is the problem, I think these are things that we kind of take for granted but aren't necessarily as good as we could be at putting them into practice because things often get pulled away from that. Conversations often become adult-based with thinking about other people's agendas, conflicting agendas or clinical needs, acute problems that need to be solved that draw away from, I hate this term but we often use it, those kind of softer things that are the heart of who we are as humans, that um, the heart of our experiences, what, what we're here for, what, what we want to get out of life without wanting to sound uh, too profound. But what I've really learned from this work, from hearing from other people, and particularly working with young people and that kind of level of participation, is really being able to explicitly demonstrate and get across to young people and families that we really care about what we do. We know we care, that's why we're in the job, that's why we're here, but it doesn't always come across if we're asking people to do challenging things, difficult things, in really challenging, awful circumstances. 
and we don't always know how we come across without that time and space away to reflect on what we do, how we, words we use. And the power of being able to be really clear and explicit and saying things like, I care about you, I really value what you have to say, I really want to spend time listening to your story and hearing it from you with your words. So to help me understand what you're going through, I can never completely understand, but I want to understand from the best of my ability to me things like Rachel it's okay if you cry in front of a young person or a parent now of course there's context and we have to do things in moderation but actually showing your own weaknesses showing your vulnerabilities showing your human side in an appropriate manner really goes a long way to building a therapeutic relationship and leveling out any kind of power differences that come with hierarchies and power exchange within the situations that we work with it's all such fascinating stuff but and we often say this but it really is often the simple things that can make a big difference to those huge topics that get in the way Oh, brilliant, brilliant. I, I love the idea of crying with your patient. It might sound <laughs> completely <laughs> outrageous, but showing that you guys are human too. I mean, I love working with you guys, but what's also amazing is you guys are people and you have feelings and emotions. And I think clinicians don't always get to show that. What's really interesting is our next question is all about, out of the me first principles, so you guys do run a fundamentals training, which is amazing if you've been on it yet definitely go check it out but you guys have some amazing principles and out of all of those principles and I'll list them all so there are developmental level there is shared decision making and involvement there is consent there is capacity there is equality and diversity and power obviously very important to communication but what do you guys think are your most important ones that maybe you're working on or you feel like people just you need, you want to shout about it all the time that's a good question but I think power influence and difference are fascinating so I, I spend a lot of time on the project and in the clinical work thinking about them but they are such influential things that have a power to do harm and good and they are they're so strong within a situation within the context of any conversation and yet it never ceases to amaze me how little these things are often talked about and I've recently had a few conversations with some really senior experienced professionals who kind of comment on oh I'd never really thought about this thinking about power relationships within between colleagues or power relationships with families and young people and matters of difference whether it's race education gender uh, whatever it is how those things interplay and intersect and alongside that, very closely, I think, fits who's involved in a conversation and who's making decisions and when, how are those made. So I've kind of cheated by choosing about three. <laughs> it's impossible to tease them apart, really, because they're so linked. But we're always banging on about power mm, and power, difference. Yeah, power. And also power can be done in a very non-verbal way. You know, the way we position the room, where we put the people in the room... Um, when we give them the opportunities to attend appointments and also the way we look and the tone of our voice and the language we use this is all intertwined with power as well so I think power and kind of difference we've done a recent study on psychosocial outcome tools for young people with voice disorders and we know that the voice of the young person isn't really in there the language that is used isn't appropriate for them. The way they measure 
you know measurement scales are not accessible for them so it's sort of again thinking about what tools do we use what adjustments can we make what's missing and having the voice of the young person and that's also power it's about power the voice of the young person kind of being missing and I don't think it's intentional I think it's against just not thinking about it in the way that is possible to advance the way we work with young people so the project is all about that as well like what's going on here what how can we make this better I find it really ironic thinking about language and mm. terminology because I think that the easier things are for young people to understand, the easier it is for everybody to understand. It feels like we all make our lives much more difficult for ourselves unnecessarily. And what it, you know, is that historical, is it hierarchy, is it power, whatever it is, it's another reason why participation is, is so important. Because I think everyone will benefit. Okay, I have one more question for each of you. And I think this, this is really interesting because I'll give a bit of back to the story to this question. Before you became the project lead, you were also a, you were on the train the trainer course. So I would like to know what has made being part of learning about the training and delivering it, what's different? So what is different from actually taking on the project as kind of your baby itself, from actually just kind of being thrown in and said, hey, teach this material? Oh, I really love the role of the lead because I'm. it's a way to get it out there. It's a way to try and influence and change practice outside of our little sort of small world here at GOSH. You know, I think it's a wonderful place to work. It's fantastic. We have all these skills and knowledge. But I think it's about disseminating it out and empowering other professionals and young people to take on these principles. It's about it's a way of changing the world in the small way I can. So, and I'm working with a wonderful team and I mean, you know, amazing skills as well. And Okay, and this one's particularly for Rachel. What has your experience been of working with the project for the last six years? And what has been your experience and how has it changed like for, since the beginning till now? What has been the drastic changes you've seen it from its infancy all the way into where it is? Maybe now it's in its teenage stage, especially with transition <laughs> being released. But what do you think it's been? So that covers a lot of ground. The key things that spring to my mind, I think there was a wonderful opportunity alongside the challenges that were brought with the global pandemic when everybody had to transition to online training. We'd thought about doing online training before, a lot of people had asked for it, but we felt that communication training needs to be face-to-face. -face. We always felt quite adamant about that, but we were forced into a different situation. I still believe that you can't compare face-to-face -face training with online training. Having said that, it did give us a really good opportunity to think about things differently and I think we've all been really pleased with how things have translated to online and there are certain modules that work really, really well like that and of course it takes away the travel needs across the country so it makes it much more accessible in, in various different ways. And it also helped us to form the, the shorter, more condensed version of the training with the two hour, just over two hour fundamental session, which I, I think we're all really proud of. The other thing that's happened much more recently that is really exciting for us. Uh, this year we were approached by people that had done our training before and they wanted to advance that programme and think about really making sure that their service is person-centred, right from the beginning of someone's journey in their service, when they first come into contact, 
all the way through what are the stages when they're meeting administrative staff when they're entering reception when they're discharged all of these different things realizing that they weren't getting it right all the time this came about because a member of their staff had dealt with a complaint really well at a stage of the complaint that had advanced in a not very nice way and senior management approached this member of the team saying you know how did you deal with this so well you know we've had really good feedback about how that conversation went and she said it was a result of our training and as a result of that their senior management team said hey we'd like to do some of your training how can we move forwards with this and just that very same team that we delivered that bespoke training to which talked a lot about power and culture shift they've now asked us to train up people within their organizations to be able to deliver the training there so that's some a really fantastic way to really push this philosophy and way of working forward and that's thanks to the hard work and the creativity and ethics of the MIFAS team that I work with. And just to add one more thing, I think the, the purpose of us existing, the purpose of this project is all about improving experiences of children and young people in health and social care. Mm. And with that, hopefully optimising and improving their outcomes. This is, this is what we want to achieve. It's not about the project, it's about young people. Mm. So thank you again for joining us. Um, our next discussion will be with our young advisors all around participation. So thank you guys for joining us today. Amazing working with my colleagues. Mm-hmm.